The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Welcome to the Port Fan Radio Network. My name is Rick Newenhoven. Uh, this is proudly sponsored by New Vision. And also, I'll say tonight, uh, Brian Cunningham and Associates. And uh, I would like to welcome for tonight's episode uh, former player and CEO of the Port Adelaide Footy Club and champion player, uh, Brian. How are you? I'm well, Rick. How about you? Oh, very good. A little bit nervous, to be honest. We, uh, it's, it's not often we get uh, such reputable uh, uh, guests on the show with, uh, with such a rich history uh, like you have with Port Adelaide. So I... I, I just want to say, firstly, thank you very much for uh, joining us and, and investing a little bit of time with me and the fans. No, mates, any time. Don't, don't be at all nervous. It's just, we're just normal people, aren't we? So, <laughs> we try to be. We try to be. Uh, you've generated a lot of interest with the fans this week, knowing that you're coming on, and uh, there's been a lot of excitement. So, uh, yeah, there's cool. also, you might not know the platform that we use with Spreaker. It's also got a, a chat room, so uh, we might get a bit of a... Uh, a chat frenzy, but I've got the thumbs up that the audio is great. So uh, we'll get on with the show. I always uh, like to get that bit of reassurance. Um, I guess the first thing I'll, I'll start with, Brian, I just want to get right to the present. Um, what are you actually doing now with Brian Cunningham and Associates, out of curiosity? Yeah, look, I, I've had a really interesting career, Rick, and I obviously uh, most people remember I've had a bit of footy here and there, and I ran, ran the club as the chief executive for 13 years, and then I left um, the football club at the end of 2004, the year we won a premiership, which was perfect timing. It was just um, magic that it all happened at that time. And I ran um, two large government departments for about five years. Um, Trade and economic development was my second one. The first one was further education, employment, science, technology. I I got a background in science and teaching was my first career, as a lot of my old Tapiru High School students still remind me when they come up and say good day and uh, Prince Alfred College students, for that matter. But anyhow, um, seven years ago, I started Brian Cunningham Associates, uh, which was a, my own business, and um, so I've been running that for about that time. And I do, I'm do. i a non-executive director on a number of boards. I have seven boards. Um, I chair five of those. That means you sit on a board and you, make, you, you give direction, strategic direction to a company or an organisation. So there's a mixture of things there. It's a bit of couple of waste companies, a couple of real estate companies, uh, um, and uh, I've just been appointed chair of an architectural firm, which is really good. So I do a bit of work in that space, and the rest of my time is probably in, um, in coaching, executive coaching and leadership. So I do quite a lot of that with individuals and with, and with organisations, corporates and, and whatever. So I um, I have a lot of fun and I, um, I I work reasonably hard, but nowhere near as hard as I did when I was in the footy club. That's for sure. <laughs> I bet it, it's actually um, it's interesting what you've brought up there with the with the skill set that you provide. Um, quite a, a numerous amount of people sort of ask me to ask you the question: Do you still stay involved with the club? Do you do you you know have a desire to help the club? Do you think the club still needs your help? I mean, you've got a diverse array of skills, um, or do you think it's um, uh, you know, something where, you know, you sort of stay in touch, but it's moved on. You don't need to be on the board and all those sort of things. Well, no, I, I don't need to be on the board. Um, and, and I have been asked over the years to, to be involved in that way. But I spent so much time 
at the club I, I started there when I was 15 and um, and left when I was 52 or something. So, you know, it's an awful long time. So, and I think they've got really capable people um, running the club and on the board. So, but in answer to your question, do I do I have an involvement? Yes, I do. I mean, I'm I'm down there tomorrow. We've got a light members uh, meeting, which is um, there's a, a small committee that that um, that makes or advises the board and Keith Thomas on you know life memberships and Hall of Fame. Um, um, entrance and all of that sort of stuff so we've been doing we've been quite active over the last couple of years i've been doing that ever since i left the club so which is which is nice of the club to ask me to do that um so i I do that and the club has been fantastic to me in my in my business because i do a lot of corporate leadership um stuff and and not once ever as the club uh, Renee Keith Thomas in particular has been fantastic in coming out and talking to some of um, our corporate clients about leadership. Um, so he's been very generous in that way. So I'm as close to the club as I've ever been. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to step on any toes down there. I don't want to get involved in decision making down there. Um, and um, and you know and I do a little bit of work with some of the the coaches down there as well. So. Um, uh, you know, it's fair to say, if anyone's asking, do I have an involvement? Yes, I do. Is it massive and is, is it making decisions and things? No, it's not, but I'm supportive and helping the club whichever way I can. Do you think it's a um, an element of romance by us as a supporter? I mean, you're a supporter now as well. I, I've seen you occasionally at games and, um, you know, and I guess we think, you know, if it's not going perfect, we always think back to a a time of yesteryear, whether it's John Cale as coach or Foss Williams or, or yourself as CEO, and, and if it's not going swimmingly, we think, oh, if only that person came back, um, you know, it would be it would all be better. Um, is, is that just romantic nostalgia at times? You bet it is, Rick. There's no question of that. We're not all that good. Like we, we all have our time and our you – know, we all have a time at the club and we do what we can and we're all just cogs in the wheel of the, of the way that the whole thing works. And – yeah, look. Um, yeah, anyone going back thinks they can go back. I, I'm I'm very much of the view that when you make a break from an organisation, it doesn't matter whether it's whether it's an organisation you work for or whatever. Always going back is is fraught with danger, and and um, I've never wanted to do that. In fact, when I left the club as chief executive at the end of 2004, I made a particular point of just not not. I went to some games, obviously, and enjoyed all of that. But because it had been such a big part of my life and, and was my life for a lot of that time, um, because of the AFL bid, I, I stayed away and it was a good thing I stayed away. So um, so go back to your point, older, older people coming back, can they help? Yes, if they if they help in the, the ways that they can. And I think I'm helping in a small way, but not 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 to do anything like I did before, no. I don't have any ambition for that, and I'd, I'd always recommend anyone, whichever organisation it is, if you had a really good time and you got out at the right time, and because not many people pick their time to leave, most people get pushed out as opposed to uh, choose to go out. If you've chosen a good time to go out, why would you want to go back and spoil all of that? <laughs> it, yeah, it, it sort of um, it leads actually it leads on to a question. Um, one of the big footy uh, fans had his name's conveniently Russell Eva Hamble and. And he, he said that you um, spoke glowingly of, of Mark Williams at the, the Hall of Fame introduction and how he's such a teacher. And uh, and he was asking the question, 
you know, is there a role for Mark Williams back at the club? And I, I guess it's and it, part of the reason I asked about the romance of going backwards, um, you know, is it just one of those romantic notions again, or is there a role for someone like Mark Williams to come back in some capacity? I reckon Mark Williams, I'm not sure whether it's at Port Adelaide. If Mark came back to Port Adelaide as a teaching coach, like to coach skills and, and whatever, and, and um, that would be a, a fantastic thing. I don't think he will. Um, he should, you know, Mark Williams, in my view, should still be coaching an AFL club. I just think that, um, that over the course of the journey, Mark has been, Mark has challenged too many people over the course of the journey. He's got a bit, bit of a black cross against him uh, where it counts. So, Unfortunately, some clubs won't go near him and the AFL probably doesn't support him as much as it supports other people. That's not being unkind to the AFL. They can choose whoever they like to support. But Mark Williams is, is, is a premiership coach and there's not too many of those around. And if you look at coaches worldwide in a whole range of sports, um, nowadays coaches are probably not hitting their straps until they're in their 60s and some in their 70s and and Mark is not there yet and, and still has so much to offer. So, yep, he, he, he certainly could do any job in AFL footy coaching, I think. I don't think you see him back at Port Adelaide. I don't, I don't think um, there's an – Adelaide's just not quite a big enough um, arena in sport for, for Mark. I think he needs a Melbourne. Mm. Um, yeah. Interesting. Um I've got a tough one for you because you've had a very broad array of history from playing um, to uh, being in administration and then watching from afar. Um, what's your favourite experience in football as a player or an administrator? I really enjoyed my time at the footy club. As I say, right when I was 15, the under, playing on the 17s, and I loved that. Um, I think you have all those rich experiences when you, you get up and you play your first league game and... You know, then you lose grand finals as we lost, and that's a long time ago, for the young listeners losing grand finals in 1971 and 72, which is my first two years, and again in 76. But um, but winning the 77 grand final was a great experience. But um, if you lo- if you try and sort of rank what was the best bit of my of my life in footy at Port, I think it was um, it was a combination of of winning the the bid for the AFL, which was an enormous amount of hard work, but then just trumping that was the, the 2004 Premiership because that was the that was the the fulfilment. That was the um, how do you describe it? It was it was how we got respect in the AFL. You you get respect in the AFL by silverware, and and we got the silverware in 2004, and that was fantastic, um, and that was my best moment, even better than captaining premierships and playing in premierships or playing good games, etc. That was that was the biggest and best for me. You know, I'm a bit of... I've never played. And to be honest, I, I was a very average footballer uh, when I did try and play. So I'm, I'm a bit of a... Uh, just a Port Adelaide fan. And I guess from my perspective, I'm happy for you to slap me on the wrist on this one, but somehow I feel maybe over the 20-year period from a playing perspective, um, I feel like we've underperformed a little bit as a club, and maybe we missed a few opportunities. Do you do you think that's um, a fair call on my part, or am I being too hard a taskmaster? In the AFL, are in you the saying? AFL, in the AFL. Yeah, look, I think I think that's probably it's probably a bit of Port Adelaide because we do expect that we would win, and you know, in my time, we would expect we're going to win every second year. That in the AFL, we knew that would be more difficult. 
if you go back to that period when we were, you know, like, let's have a look at our entry into the AFL, 1997. If those who've got a really good remember, memory will remember, we played Brisbane at the, um, at the Gabba in the last game of the year, and we had to win that game. If we won that game, we were into the finals in our first year in the AFL competition, which would have been like, no one's ever done that. Um, and Stewie Jew, I love Stewie, but um, he kicked out from fullback with about 30 seconds to go, our best kick, and it was his worst kick, and it went to the opposition. They put it through for a point. The game was drawn. We finished ninth. That was a really good start. And then in 1999, we... Um, we Played North Melbourne, got knocked out. North Melbourne won the premiership. So a very good start in the AFL. I, I did. I, I think that period we didn't. Uh, we performed quite well. We had a poor year in 2000 because of many reasons. I think it was probably um, you know sat on our laurels a little bit, and then um, we had a new facility that we built, and all of a sudden we think I think we got big heads a little. Uh, all of us. Did we um, transition I, our game style that year as well a little bit? Um, I think we did, and I think we we tried to. We tried to be very defensive, and then we decided at the end of 2000 that if we kept going the way we were, that people, Mark Williams and I had this discussion, if we keep going the way we are, um, winning, if we you try and win three goals seven to two goals six, no one's going to come to the footy anymore. So we, we then made, one of our team rules was, I think it was pretty clear, like people who knew it, and I think it was probably published, but we're going to kick 20 goals a game, which we started in 2001. And that 2001 to 2004 period, I think I mentioned the other night, we had a 75% win-loss ratio. No club ever has that. And probably, if we go back to the point of your question, did we underperform, we should have won two out of the four premierships, but we got knocked out in three prelim finals. So I think in that first period up to 2004, we probably did really well, but we should have won one more premiership. Um, we should never have been in the grand final in 2007 because we were just young and inexperienced, but we... We played on passion and, and uh, we got belted by Geelong. And then we had a really bad period where we were just, um, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of things went wrong. Um, but forget about that. We're resurrected now and, uh, and I think we're in, in great shape for, yeah. you know, the short term going forward. And so I think if I said, if you said to me over 20 years that we, we, we probably haven't won as many premierships we would like, I think you're probably right. I reckon we probably could have won one or two more. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's uh, I'd agree with that. That's where that's where I'm probably at. But I'm still very I'm still happy. Uh, one's better than none, like some clubs uh, get. And I I guess I did have that in our list of questions. Like, is our um, is our history of we exist to win premierships and and that expectation that a lot of the um, older supporters, you know, probably forty plus, um, you know, is that a bit of an anchor? Uh, to us as a club now is it is it still realistic or has it morphed into a different version of what it was from the 70s and 80s and 90s i think i think there's one one really good thing i think the club has done and this is keith and and koshi and and the board and we we had we exist to win premierships and we never had that um we, we had that in the back of our minds in the magpies days when i played etc it was always yeah that's what we're aiming for and we would and we would, wouldn't be back when coming forward to say that but uh, that was our mantra into the AFL, and we were put out there quite, quite, you know, strongly in within our club bounds, within the club rooms and with the players and coaches. And then um, Koshi and um, and Keith 
added a bit to it, and I think it goes something like we, we exist to win premierships and and make our community proud. And I, I, I thought that was really, really good because, in a sense, in the AFL competition, because it's so it's so difficult to win, let alone little mm. win a game, let alone win a season, let alone win a premiership, that you know this thing of making people proud. If I look at our club now, you know, I was really. I was really proud the other night, you know, with the Hall of Fame stuff. I think they did that really well. Proud of the China stuff, um, you know, proud of performances on the field at different times, etc. So people who follow the footy club can still get some, um, you know, some pride in what we do. And, yeah, the biggest pride will be when we win a premiership again. But at least it sustains people along that journey. But the first part of it is always going to be what people want. They want a premiership because that's, part of what we've always wanted and always up, up until the AFL always got hmm. yeah it's um, it's an interesting uh, conundrum but I'm hoping that 2018 uh, might be very close to our year you mentioned 2004 as the highlight and uh, and you know you were one of the personnel um, that left we also lost I believe Andrew Russell um, and uh, our recruitment as well. Uh, the names for, escapes me now. Um, Chris Pelkin, Chris yes. Pelkin, Andrew Russell, and I think um, Damien Hardwick went back, and then um, uh, and at that stage we also lost Alistair Clarkson. Yes. Um, he, he didn't coach in that grand final. He didn't, wasn't the assistant coach. But, um, yeah, we lost some really good people at that point in time. Do you think? Do you think that was detrimental uh, to the club that it set us back a little bit? And uh, why do you think there was such a big exodus? And instead of people like unifying around uh, the victory and trying to get more, yeah, we seem to go the opposite way, splintered off a little bit. Oh, and look, I, I know each of the stories of all of those people that, that we've mentioned, and everyone's got a different story about that. I mean, mine was a decision that I made in two thousand and two, and I, I said to Greg Bolton at the time, "I'm going to." I'm going to retire at the end of 2004. If we haven't won a premiership by then, we haven't succeeded. And as it turned out, we did. So lucky me. Um, and I kept my word on that. And he said, well, I'll stay on for a few more years so that we keep the same sort of um, – we don't lose all the intellectual property. So that was that was my story. Andrew Russell, um, I know his story was that, you know, he was pulled by family to go home and there was nothing we could do about that. And we talked about that the whole of the season. Alastair Clarkson – um, was was headhunted for a, a role at Hawthorne, and you know, frankly, you would never stand in front of anyone who wants to be an AFL coach and had that opportunity. So, you know, that's that's why he went. Damien Harbour, in the end of his career, was then looking to coach and all of that. So, you know, winning a premiership, you'd say, well, that would be a reasonably good finish to my football career. So, everyone's got their own stories. Chris Pelkin. Um, was running, I think, a property business and a whole range of other things, always based in Melbourne, had other opportunities and uh, had done a fantastic job right from the start since 1997. So a long time there is a time to move on. So everyone everyone had a different story and so it wasn't a mass exodus caused by anything. It was just the fact that you know all of us at different stages of our lives all had different reasons for going. Unfortunately, it happened... Um, Right at that time, then we won the premiership, and and it didn't last much longer than that. So yeah, 
Andrew Russell's an interesting one. I don't I didn't even have him on our, our list of conversation topics, but when when you look at his career, he's you know, what he did with Port Adelaide and now at Hawthorne, he'd have to be one of the best uh, um, fitness guys you've seen in the business, I would imagine. That was amazing. He was fantastic, Andrew. And we we, we tried everything. I you know, I don't know how many conversations I had with Andrew to try and keep him but you know, families Family's family, family. So there you go. Yeah. Um, and and uh, look, he, he he probably isn't lauded, uh, you know, for the work that he's done. He he was a fabulous trainer. Yeah. So as a player, I mean, I so I'm probably so I'm 45. So I I I sort of picked up football probably early 80s. Didn't really understand it too much. Uh, went to the 84 Grand Final. That was the first physical game I went to. So I I missed your playing career, but I've had some some of the Older supporters fill me in, and and uh, and I remember the highlights of seeing you play. Um, obviously, you played with some of the greats, um, you know, Russell Ebert, Darren Cale, um, you know, other greats from the club. How, what was that experience? Some of those players that you played with, what did you take away from it? Well, look, it was a long time. I played for thirteen years, and it was I was captain for four years, and we we did really well as a club. We, we were very close, um, um, and we uh, and we and we we really, you know, we. We had a lot of success over that journey, and that was a great period. In the, I think the eighties, probably the seventies, seventies and the early eighties were probably some of the best times in footy. I still look back. I don't very often look back at past games, but it was a pretty good game in those days. And 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 as a club, we were as good as there was going around. Um, a story I, I always tell. Some people may may remember it, but nineteen eighty, we had Russell Ebert back, and he been to North Melbourne and came back and uh, he was still as good as ever and won a McGarry medal again, I think, in 1980. Um, and we had Max James and we had um, Tim Evans and Daryl Cale and all the we, – we honestly had a really good side. We played – we won the 1980 Premiership and Richmond won the 1980 BFL Premiership and then we had a trial game at Albert Noble at the beginning of 1981, the two Premiership teams, um, and they had – Francis Burke, you know, Kevin Bartlett, Royce Hart, they had all of the – I think Royce Hart played. Um, they had all the really good players of that period. And um, we lost that game by two points. And that, for us, we're saying you – know, we always thought, yeah, we could match it uh, with the best that's going around the place. It was a really good period of time. So lots of memories um, and great people at the football club. Was there – I mean, everyone talks about Russell Lee, but understandably, but was there another player – outside of um, Russell that made an impression on you in your playing career? Oh, lots of them. Um, <laughs> I go through the whole list. Daryl Carr was um, Daryl Carr was really underplayed and people wouldn't realise John's brother. He's a scratch golfer and um, and uh, Daryl was my best man at my wedding. As a matter of fact, we were really good mates. Um, we used to go around before every game and go around to Daryl's mother's place and she'd feed us up on lollies and, and stuff and John was there and we'd all sit down and talk about the game and go and kick a footy around just to calm the nerves a little bit. This was at Seton a long time ago. Mm. Um, but um, but Daryl was uh, was really underrated player, like so super fit. He ended up roving with me. That was when they had rovers, They're midfielders nowadays. But he was a rover, but he also played a half back and, you know, just magnificent player that probably never got the accolades. He played state footy um, a lot, um, so it shows that he was recognised in, in that arena. But, you know, we had, um, we had an enormous group of players at that time. They were really, it was really a good group. 
So you were you were primarily a ruck rover, and from what I've seen and, and heard from people, exquisite skills, both sides of the body, um, and uh, your goal to game ratio was quite high. Um, I think over one and a half percent. Do you have you seen is is your position that you used to play in the modern game defunct now, or have you have you followed how it's transitioned? Oh, look, uh, they, they run so many people through the midfield nowadays, and um, in those days it was a ruckman. And when you look at the, you, you see, you know, you look at our side this week, potentially they'll probably have someone like Rockcliffe or whatever playing in that third role, ruckman, ruck rover, rover, as they used to be called. But they run so many people through there now because everyone's so so much fitter. In those days we had two rovers, um, and we, we rested in the forward pocket, Daryl, Carl and I, and we just ran on the ball, and we do what the midfielders do. We weren't as fit as, as the guys nowadays, nowhere near it. But um, but um, it was really just two people rotating through that one position. That one position now, they'd have six or eight players rotating through that one position. So I think it's different because you you're there to read the read the tap of the of the ruckman and um, and uh, be be. Um, be right inside the play and, um, and and get the ball. That was your job. Mm. So did, I, don't, I don't think it's different, Rick. No, just just different type, bigger players, I guess, these days. They're huge now. Probably a bit bigger than we were, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, how was the transition for you from Foss Williams to John Cale? Was it any different or was it just seamless? And and I guess the, the big question for me too is, like, what made John Cale especially... Um, such an inspiring coach for over so many years. I'll tell you, both of those coaches are inspiring in, in a lot of ways, Rick, because Foss was my first coach and I started as an 18 year older in 1971 and we lost that premiership, as I said, to North Adelaide. Um, Foss taught me more about the role of midfield roving, um, whatever that you know, role was we just described. He, he wrote out for me you know, how you actually do that role. I not wrote out typed out with his own hands three pages of um of these are the sorts of things you do um this is how you run in front of your player this is how you think about the fall of the ball and where you're going to get to this is how you save time and space um and you know he was he, he taught me more about so he was a great teacher like mark he taught me more about roving than anything um in those days so i had great admiration for him but but he was at the end of his career and you know, the old style of coaching was, you know, really, you know, it was barking and it was, you know, it was, it was tough and hard and all of that sort of stuff, which is all fine and that didn't hurt any of us to do that. And then John came in and John was much more, he used a, a, a sort of much more psychological approach in terms of um, not necessarily teaching you the skills but telling you, building your self-confidence, telling you that you're the best, uh, working out how he could get the best out of you, so John was um, was inspiring in in those sorts of ways because we would have done anything for him, and we did, and we kept winning as a result of that. So, two two very different coaches, but you know the best of all worlds, really. So was John a, a real belief orientated? Well, absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, if you're in John's side and he picked you, then you would do anything for him um, to make sure. And I think a bit, there's a bit of a bit of that in Ken Hinckley too. I reckon that Ken has a massive relationship with his players, um, and that you know, uh, and he you know he's got forty odd players, but he, he he has to 
keep a relationship with all of them. And obviously, the he spends more time with the more elite players because he has to. But but he he's a bit like John in, in players will do anything for him, and it's just the way that he relates to players. John was very good at that too. So, off the cuff comment. Uh... Similar characters, similar personalities. Um, what's what's maybe causing Port under uh, Ken to just keep falling short at the moment? Just is it the age demographic of the list? Um, is it yeah? Uh, we've recruited heavy this year with more experienced players. Is, have you, have you no, got a hunch on what it is? No, we recruit, we've recruited really well. I'm, I'm, I've got a few insights on how we did that, and I think I think the work of Chris Davies down there and the recruiting team been fantastic um, in the way that the way that we've been recruited the way that we have recruited uh, this year I no, I, I, I don't think you know it's funny Rick footy is many things but a lot of it is injuries and luck too um, and sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't go your way and you know like how was it last year when you know, thousands of people walked out of the ground um, in the game where um, uh, a little tap by Paddy Ryder and a, and a goal um, that resulted um, was in front of the game. And no, and, and no one would ever think that that uh, could have happened in that time. They All, all people left early. Um, it's footy's very fickle and you can win it and then all of a sudden you get the West Coast game and you, uh, you lay a tackle that's a little bit high and all of a sudden you lose it. So... Lots of luck in it. There is lots of luck. Um, CEO, after our entry bit, you uh, you sort of mentioned that already. Um, it's very controversial for a lot of our supporters, and I, I don't expect you to um, make controversial comments here. Um, but was the SANFL as difficult as the members believe they were at that time? And and how did you navigate? the relationship with stakeholders at that time. I would imagine it would have been a very, very difficult job for you back then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was difficult and it was it was always difficult. Um, I think the club's in a fantastic position now as a one club. We couldn't have one club at that time. Um, we, we um, and I keep telling this story and I hope people listen, that when we tended for the AFL, we got 99.9% of our members by survey and meetings. And all that. Do you want to go into the AFL? Yes, you, yes, we do. We want to, we want to be in the best competition, and uh, and that best competition was the AFL. So, so we go with a mandate from our members, and we win a license to to go into the AFL. But Port Adelaide Football Club was going into the AFL as Port Adelaide Football Club, and we had no intentions in our bid document. Uh, to have a, uh, a reserve side at that point in time um, or a presence in the SNFL because that was just too complex because of the politics. It was just, you couldn't imagine that we could get one side into the AFL, let alone let's also have a second side in the SNFL. So, yeah, I can tell this story because it's true. Um, mm-hmm. I was there. Um, but so we, we win the, the AFL licence. There you've got the AFL licence. And then all of a sudden, the opposition clubs in the SNFL were going, hold on, what does that mean? Port have gone to the AFL. That means that we don't play them anymore. That means that people don't come through the gate to watch our home games against Port anymore. Ah, we don't like that. So all of a sudden, the SNFL changed the rules and said, yeah, you're right, you can have a licence, but one thing you have to do is you have to have Port Adelaide Magpies in the SNFL. And um, we're saying, yep, okay, well, we're not going to fight that. 
it's it wasn't it wasn't part of the rules when you started the exercise. But um, but what happens with Port Adelaide Magpies is they've got to be totally separate to you. You've got to send them away from Melbourne. They've got to go down to Ethel Noble or whatever, and um, and be an exile from the AFL club because it would give them too much of an advantage. Anyhow, lots of politics and all of that. But the fact is that what we have now through Keith Thomas and through the good work of the board and the people who are involved, and, and I know there are lots of, you know, the Timmy Genevers, George Fiacci's, etc., who are involved in all of that, have actually got the best of all worlds now with Port Adelaide in the SNFL um, and as our reserve side, and then we've got the AFL club. So, you know, good things happen at the end of the day, but at that time it was very, very difficult, um, and, um, and it you know, that's that's. I don't think that's a flaw by us in not envisaging an SNFL presence when we went in in 1997 and winning that tender to do to do that. It was just the fact that that was way, way, way beyond anything that we could have ever hoped for. Do you think there's some some SNFL supporters then, um, profile people that use that storyline of the split club? to just try and destabilise knowing what the true version of events are. And I'm not asking you to name people, um, but because obviously that's one of the most controversial things that agitates port supporters as well, like you're not the real magpies and all that sort of thing. So do you think that's maybe being done on purpose? Oh, absolutely. There's no question of that. It, it does irritate me a lot. Like we got a mandate from our members to go into the AFL. Port Adelaide, my football club, a club that I have grown up with, uh, all my life and played for since I was 15, went into the AFL. Um, and that's where we went and that's what we were asked to do and we did it. And then to get people to say, oh, it's not my club, they're not real, the real Port Adelaide, um, you know, people looked at it and said, oh, look, the real Port Adelaide is the Magpies playing down at Ethelton. Well, yes, they are too. Both clubs were the real Port Adelaide. It was just that they were they were, they were were set apart by the SNFL at the time. Mm. So it's interesting now that you know with this, you know this mysterious AFL reserves um, proposal, which the club has come out and sort of said we've had nothing to talk about it since two thousand and fourteen, but it sort of raised this sort of uh, concern with the supporters again about you know potentially the Magpies going and um, and I saw George who who was quite wise on on social media. He was saying, hey, think big here, people. Why not why not have three clubs? I mean, we are a sporting club. Um, yeah, it, it seems to be this recurring thing. Do you think the AFL reserve concept would come up over time? The club said it's not in their dis, uh, close future. Do, do you think it's something that might come? Well, it surprised me. It came up in the paper the other day, first time I'd seen it, and I'm not close to the AFL now. Um, there's got to be a, a rationale for it. It's a very expensive exercise when you're flying uh, reserves clubs all around Australia as well. The AFL have got pretty deep pockets, and so they're the ones who will decide whether that's that's viable or not. And then I guess supporters will decide whether they want to get there earlier to the footy to watch a reserves game before the 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 main game as well. I mean that's the tradition of footy it used to be, but there, you know in in my day when I was a kid going to the footy watching the reserves comp, um, there weren't many people there, uh, frankly. Um, so and it was a great it, it was, you know, it was, it was great as a backup for the, the the main team, but a lot of people have got to work that out. And whether it's logistically, um, whether it can work logistically, how much it's going to cost, 
and then all the stuff around you know history and tradition then comes into play so my guess my guess is probably wouldn't happen i wouldn't have thought but we'll wait and see um so ceo at afl level one of the supporters that knew you were coming on tonight uh, wanted me to ask this question when we entered the afl uh, given your time again would you have gone with less poor power and more PAFC 1870. I know it's a very controversial topic. For me, I didn't really have a problem with the concept. I mean, it's Port Adelaide Football Club and you know, Port Power is just an abbreviation, but I know a lot of passionate supporters weren't a fan of Port Power and loved Port Adelaide Football Club. Do you have any thoughts on this? Well, when we went to the AFL, we mandated that always, you would never on the scoreboard, you would never see, our name was Port Adelaide Football Club, on the scoreboard, you'll never see power. You'll always see Port Adelaide Football Club. That's mandated with the AFL. That's part of our licence agreement. So the power was the nickname. And the power was the nickname because we didn't want to destroy the magpie. We didn't want to take over that. It was Power was and something that is not a, an entity. It's a it's a feeling. It's, a, it's different than a magpie or different than any other symbol for that matter. Um, so we didn't want to destroy uh, the magpie. Um, so, look, um, could we have done that differently? I don't think so. If I reflect back, we, we were hated by the other SNFL clubs. So we needed to be something different um, because where our future lay, and this is what I really think nowadays, where our future lay was getting to the kids. And the old story is that if you, if you, if you touch a kid uh, before 11 years of age in, in some sense of footy, which is, means give him a Port Guernsey or, or what, get him to watch a game or a player comes and, and, uh, and says g'day to him from Port Adelaide, then they, they have an affiliation, the young kids, and they will probably follow that club for life. So we needed to get young people in, and that was part of the power um, um, terminology that we used. And I reckon nowadays when I go to the footy and I walk across the bridge and I see all the young people who are now probably in their 20s, 30s, 40s, um, I, look at our, I look at our supporter base and it's young. It's young. So maybe that, maybe that did work. So, you know, because we're never ever going to get the old Norwood supporters, Glenelg supporters, they were never going to turn around and say, a few of them would, but not many of them would turn around and say, oh, look, I've been a a Nord supporter all my life, and now I'm going to support Port Adelaide in the AFL. I only know one of those, that's my brother-in-law, but apart from that, most people would stick with their SNFL club and the Crows. The, um, I guess the I see it from the outside looking in, the conflict the AFL competition has with the bias of the existing VFL clubs and really not wanting to let go of their legacy in a national competition. I guess when you were CEO at Port, um, it was even more primitive than what it was now with that viewpoint. How difficult was the Victorian politics with the national game for you? Look, I think many clubs were reasonably supportive of us. They, they saw us with a tradition and a history and they saw, and the AFL certainly saw us as a $4 million, um, you know, that was our licence fee that we had to pay. So they, they quite liked the money that we gave them and the fact that we create another bigger market in South Australia. Um, look, I think probably Collingwood was the only one that we 
you know, we rubbed up hard against because of our black and white heritage, and we still do. And that's not a, that's not a, that's not a major thing. We still wear our heritage guernsey when we can. Um, we we wore it. I think our first heritage guernsey game might have been ninety ninety eight ninety nine. So we've been wearing it for a long time. Um, do you think? So, does it was it frustrating? Did you feel like there was two sets of rule books at any stage? One for the VFL clubs and one for the uh, non non VFL clubs. Mm, that's interesting, Rick. Because no, look, I think it was head down, bum up for us. We 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 just did we just did what we could do to win games of footy to develop respect. I mean, we were we were financially successful. We we were one of the you know better clubs in the AFL, along with well, the Adelaide Footy Club, obviously very very successful. But we were we just wanted to keep our heads above water, build our build our strength, build our assets as an organisation, build facilities to make our players even better. So, look, you know, I didn't worry too much about politics. Um, it only came to, to a head when we had um, when we bumped up against Eddie and his team. So where do you think the, um, again, it's a bit of a romance for Port Adelaide supporters, the prison bar Guernsey. Um, where do you think it fits now in the modern AFL landscape? Oh, it's beautifully. We'll use it. I think I'm hoping we use it again for another, another um, important game. I, there, there are two Guernseys. I think they're important for us. The Magpies Guernsey, and, and using that in a heritage round, or using that for a special round, uh, for you know to to um, to bring to um, the national screen the history of our club is really important. I think that's that's a good one. I I would personally like to see. The Guernsey that we wore in the 2004 Premiership, which was our first Guernsey that we that we made, the Power Guernsey, um, Port Adelaide Guernsey, that came out in 1997. The first, the one of the, our major, the first of the three Guernseys, but the one that we wore most often. I think that's got really good history. We spent a lot of time developing that. It has a story that probably hasn't been told before, and. It has a history now that it's an AFL Premiership Guernsey, so I'd like to see that used occasionally as well. Um, nothing against the current Guernsey, but I just think the um, those those two Guernseys still have a place, and I hope they use them. Yeah, I was a big fan for the um, 2004 Guernsey myself. I liked it. Obviously, the uh, Prison Bars always has my heart first and foremost. Um, uh, Facebook fan Andrew Kenny had a, a really good question, I thought, um, which I'm sort of interested in as well. And with your board experience i'm sure you'd have some insight here um he was asking he'd be interested to hear what you think of the current state of play with port's independence from the sanfl and what that eventually means for the club government structure going forward for example potentially back to being a fully member elected board without afl appointments such as the victorian sides um or is that something that probably isn't going to happen and we don't need to worry about that too much. I think we've got a really good board. I mean, the governance is always an issue and members will always want to have the right to appoint people to the board and, and that's always a good thing and, and they've maintained that right with um, with Port Adelaide. There was a period of time when the board was removed and a new set of directors was put in by the AFL when it wasn't performing um, that well, but um, if a club performs well on and off the field, then generally it'll have um, at least some of its supporters. Would it ever have all of its um, uh, some of its, its members on the board um, appointed by supporters? Will it ever be totally um, member 
um, elected as a board? No, I, I would not think so. And what my experience is, and people might not like it, but the fact is that as a, on a board you need a certain, a certain number of um, skills on a board and a, a member election doesn't necessarily give you that. If you elect everyone by, um, by virtue of the membership, then it becomes a popularity vote. You don't necessarily get the skills set that you need. It's a $40, $50 million business nowadays and it needs to have certain skill sets in it. So, therefore, you need to appoint those skill sets. They don't necessarily come just from a member-based um, popularity contest. That's not being unkind. It's because you get some really good people through the membership, no question, um, but you can't get them all. You can actually have a board uh, composition where you can have independent directors invited to the board in addition to the elected members as well, though. Absolutely, and that's uh, in fact you do that with most boards. To be honest, and forget about footy clubs, we do that with uh, several boards that I that I'm involved with. We pull um, skill sets in uh, f- when we need them, and um, they might come in for a couple of years and give us a particular skill set in a space that we need, and then they might, you know, drop off and someone else will come in. So all of that's really important. Mm. I mean, saying that though, um, yeah, I mean, as you probably know and saw, I ran for the board and was unsuccessful. But I mean, I think everyone that's on the board, whether they're member elected or not, I think our board is pretty functional and doing a, a very good job. And uh, we, as supporters, we should be reasonably happy with everyone that's on there at this point in time anyway. Yeah, I think the only time people get unhappy is when we don't perform, when we either lose lots of money or we, or probably more importantly, when we just don't win games and we're not competitive. And then, you know, how much control the board has of that? There's very little. Like in 2000, the board had no control over the fact that we finished 14th in 2000 after finishing 9th in 1999. And it was all to do with um, preparation, injuries, a bit of big headedness and uh, by all of us, and then all of a sudden it goes down the tube and you find your 14th. So, And the board can do nothing about it except the board appoint the chief executive and the chief executive make sure we get the right people in the right places to make sure that doesn't happen again. Mm. Um, on a national level, um, we, you know, I remember the, the rumours you were highly um, respected in the industry and um, you know, there was media reports that you were potentially going to be to IC behind Andrew Demetrio in, in the AFL. Was that ever a possibility or it was exaggerated in the press more than what it was? Oh, no, look, I, I went to, I was asked to, to go to interview. I did and had a couple, couple of interviews and, um, and I finished, uh, I think I finished second. I think I finished second, yeah, behind Adrian Anderson. And that was fine. You know, just that's just the way it went at the time. You, you win some and you lose some. Um, and um, and I always reflect back, would I have been better in that position or, you know, would I have been better for my career? I'm not so, I'm not so, so sure. I mean, I was very lucky. I wouldn't have had a premiership if I'd, um, if I'd left at that time. So, if you, if you were in charge at the national level, a bit of a, uh, you know, a sliding door thing, uh, what would you do for the game? Would you do anything different? Hard to say. I'm not really close to it now, Rick. Um, but you know, one of the things that I've always maintained is we've got to be really careful that the game doesn't change too much, that the rules don't change too much. People get, people love the game, and and I think a lot of things about the game today are fantastic. 
but you've just got to make sure that people don't get disappointed by making it too different, um, and uh, and particularly around the rules of the game. So so I, that's that's a view I have, um, and I guess the AFL are trying many things. They're innovative. They're trying to grow the pie of AFL footy, which is fantastic. But um, but don't mess up the game itself because it's a great game. Do you think growing the pie that they're they're potentially forgetting about the grassroots level? A friend of mine who's a big footy follower, a SNFL fan, you know, was sort of saying he sees more benefit in you know investing money in the junior levels and the local clubs and and trying to subsidise, uh, which I sort of can see his viewpoint because. Um, the more kids we have in the game is going to flow through to that top level. And sometimes I think, are we just being too clever as a as an institution and instead of just thinking of the basics? Yeah, there's a lot of money in football. Um, you know, I've really not thought deeply about this, Rick, so this is off the top of my head, but do we do enough um, at the lower level? We have a lot of kids playing footy, but we have a lot of kids playing soccer, more kids playing soccer, I think. Um uh, why is that? Yeah, it might be some reasons around how rough footy is and all of that. But, but you know, like there's a lot of money right at the top level of AFL in in many many spaces, and it's exploded. Um, you know, since the mid 2000s, for players, coaches, administrators, uh, salaries in all of those areas have gone up by you know 100, 200 percent. And some of that money, I, you know, I, I still think if, if a player really enjoys playing AFL footy, would they play for, you know, they won't play, they'll play for 600 grand or would they play for 300 grand or would they play for 200 or 100? They'll probably play for all of those. So maybe there's, maybe there's um, an opportunity to look and maybe that maybe it's gone now, but an opportunity to look at where you could put that money into, into grassroots footy more. Because I know the SNFL clubs really struggle. They struggle in uh, in maintaining their player lists, um, you know, fighting, you know, country leagues who who pay, you know, over the odds and, and you know, tax-free money, all of that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, they, they're really, you know, most SNFL clubs on the, are really struggling. So maybe there is more money that can be put in the SNFL and flowing down to junior grades, etc. Mm. Mm. So a guy, a friend of mine on Bigfooty, his name's Ron, um, he wanted me to ask you, do you remember breaking into his car in the 70s? <laughs> it's a very random question. I don't know if I'm being set up with this question. And if you I don't broke, remember, that's fine. Breaking his car. Was I helping him, was I? Or was I think I, you were helping him. You weren't trying to steal it, no. No, I got, a vague, I got a vague recollection of that, doing something. But, you know, I'm totally non-mechanical. So, like, I would have been most, you know, I would have, it, the, the intention was there, but the mechanics of it, I would never have been able to do that. I, I, I've got a, I do have a recollection of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think with a coat hanger, with a coat hanger, trying to, yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll try and find out the full details and I'll cut and paste and send it to you via email. Um, and lastly, I won't take up too much more of your time. I, he also had a good suggestion. He's got a list of names here for me and he just he uh, wanted to get the first thing that popped into your head with these names. So it um, doesn't have to be War and Peace. Max Bashir. Um, yes. 
a good, a, a really good administrator in his time. John Cale. Ah, oh, great coach and one of the best. Yep. Bruce Weber. Yeah, understated and should be recognised by the footy world for what he has done to get Port Adelaide in the AFL. A marvellous man. Bob McLean. Yep, big Bob was um, hard and tough, and you know he was the he was the father of the club and, and took it into into that that fantastic era in the fifties and sixties and seventies, and yep, um, probably the father of the club. Yeah, Foss Williams. Yeah, and well, he's the probably the the greatest influence on the club in terms of its on field success ever. Mm. Warren Treadray. Just a champion champion player, um, fantastic fellow, really enjoyed um, his time in the AFL and, um, you know, we, we saw, yeah, one of the, the great centre forwards ever in his club, yeah. I mean, from my history, he, I mean, I, I'm a big Scott Hodges fan, but I feel like mm-hmm. Warren is the best forward I've seen in my time, in my 45 years, and is he the best forward you've seen or would you rate any other player higher than Warren? Yeah, I don't like rating players against each other because I think they all deserve accolades. And they were the two players you mentioned are, you know, were two of the great players. But I would never say one's better than another because they all are different in, you know, in so many different aspects of their game. So, so forget about rating one or two. Just enjoy the fact that we were lucky enough to see both of them at their best. Absolutely. Craig Bradley. Oh, what a magnificent man and a, and a great player. And uh, we lost him too early, but boy, oh boy, you hear nothing of him nowadays. And, you know, he um, he was extraordinary in all respects as a footballer, cricketer, and uh, a better person than you would ever believe. Wasn't he amazing? I mean, he played, a, he played over 100 games for us and then went on to play... Um, what three hundred and odd fifty games for um, Carl, and also played state cricket. Yep, and so understated, so modest about what he's done. Yeah, huge career, huge career. Mm. And you're right; it's a shame he didn't play for us for longer. But uh, mm. Dave Granger. Yeah, uh, Dave. Uh, uh, you know, I think um, got caught up in it all. Um, look, he could play footy. Dave was a was a terrific player. I just think that um, that he had that white line fever and it made it difficult for him. I honestly think um, that Dave could have continued on interstate with a career in footy and that might have given him a, a better life going forward. He was always tarred with a brush here in South Australia, unfortunately. But he, um, he, was, a, he was a terrific player. Probably an easy one, this one, Russell Ebert. Yeah, he was the best, there's no question. Um, and the work he's doing down at the footy club at the moment is, you know, outstanding. I was lucky enough to get him, get bring him back to the club. And, and when I say do that, I'm not saying that in a in a proud sort of way. I, yeah, I did. Um, and um, because he was a bit estranged from the club, but he came back. And what a career he's having! You know, what an influence he's having at the club is fantastic. And all obviously that doesn't include all of his playing influence and his former Gary medals and everything else he's done. Just quickly, like, I mean, you'd know better than me, um, was there a risk of losing Russell at the end of 87 after he was terminated and replaced by John and yet there was that bit of a split for a while? I mean, that would have been a horrendous uh, turn of events if it did 
go that way. Mm, yeah, but but it didn't, and he's back there, and he's doing fantastic stuff. So yeah. it's his club, and um, and so yeah, there's always those sorts of risks. But um, they came back, which is good. We always get stung when you know something unexpected that we don't like happens. So credit to him for doing what he does. Uh, Mark Williams. Oh yeah, yeah. Mark was um, you know gave us the credibility that we craved in the AFL he was fantastic. Um, and I talked a lot about him last night, probably not enough, uh, not last night, the Hall of Fame dinner. But um, he he's, um, as I say, should be coaching an AFL club right now. One of the best coaches in the AFL is not. Two coaching. more and then, and then I'll let you off. Andrew Demetrio. Yeah, I, I had a lot, of, um, a lot of good times with Andrew and, uh, and uh, I think he did... Uh, an enormous amount for AFL footy. So, and I think he's one of those guys who got in, did what he did, and then then moved out. And uh, you know, he would look back on his career and say, "Wow, that was great." And he did such a, you know, the, the whole Adelaide Oval thing. As much as um, I was on the football commission at the time, that was a surprise to all of us um, who were on the footy commission that came around so quickly. Andrew drove that, and um, and the result is evident. So, mm. got to give him credit. And the last one is a bit of an interesting one, and a, but I like this name, Alan Scott. Oh, I loved Alan Scott. <laughs> mm. uh, it was uh, he, he did so much for the club, and um, and look, there were you know obviously there were things that Mark said. Um, Alan was a really tough businessman, but you know I got along really really well with Alan, and um, he was extremely generous to the club. The club would not be where it is today without Alan Scott because he through the foundation, through his donations to the foundation for, the, for our facility down there, uh, which is named after him. We would never have had that. And he was one of the people who prepared to put his hand in the pocket in the early days to be a joint major sponsor. And um, sponsors were pretty hard to come by for a club that had no track record in the AFL in his first year or two or three. Yeah, great. Yeah, can't. someone that donates money and uh, contributes and has a passion is that's all you can really ask. And and just finally, um, what are you looking forward to this season? You're going to go to many games, and uh, is there a player that you enjoy watching that excites you and and all that sort of stuff? Oh, well, lots of players excite me. They're fantastic athletes nowadays, and I really I really enjoy going. I I would go to I'd go to probably most games, and if I don't go to the game, I'd be watching it. For whatever reason, if I'm away traveling or whatever, and I might miss a game, but no, I'll be I'll be going on Saturday night, watching us play Fremantle, and and, uh, and really enjoying it because it's a great spectacle. The game itself is we play a great style of footy, and it's exciting, and we do have a, a great spectacle at the ground, and and um, and as I say, Adelaide Oval, who could who could want a better venue? So no, all of that's great, Rick, and I'm still. You know, quite passionate about our success, no question of that. You don't uh, you don't throw out the uh, the white maggot every now and again. Is that you next to me in the stands yelling that out, Brian? No, you never you, you never win Rick, by bagging umpires. It's, I've never done that, and uh, you know your energy's spent better thinking about the game and what it's what's happening out there. So no, I don't have much. Uh, I've got a lot of umpire friends who. Yeah, they do. They do a great job. Um, I would never do their job. Oh, it's the most. It's the most. Uh, it can't be. It can't be um, satisfying, surely. Are you, up, a stru- are, you, are you a structure man or a player man when you watch the footy? Like for me, I'm always intrigued by the structure, 
And so when people say, oh, who was your best players? Unless someone kicks 10 goals, I'm like, yeah, I don't really know because I'm always just looking at the game of chess on the field. Um, is that, What are you looking for when you watch a, as a spectator? Uh, less strategy, more players. I think I, I like the spectacle of what players can do and enjoy that and leave the tactics to the people who can really do it when they're in the coach's box, aren't they? Yeah, that's true. Brian, look, I really appreciate your time. I know the fans uh, were really looking forward to this one and I'm sure there'll be lots of downloads as well. So uh, once again, thank you very much for your support and uh, I hope your uh, business, Brian Cunningham and Associates, uh, keeps going gangbusters and uh, maybe one day down the track we'll, we'll have another chat. Good on you, Rick. Thanks for that, Matt. Thank you very much and uh, we'll speak soon. Bye. Carlisle sends it long. Modlop just on and takes the mark. He can give Port Adelaide the lead. Hamstring hurt. Plays on. Sends it high. Goal square. Long. McVay gets back. Port Adelaide in front. The magic man of all...